This is a 980 CKNW podcast. 906 on this Sunday morning. We'll remember back when there was the announcement under the former B.C. Liberal government that first-time homebuyers would be able to apply for an interest-free loan, and that would help them with the down payment. And we now have seen a few people take advantage of that deal. I believe the number is around 1,400 households, which went for the plan for getting the money up to $37,500 interest-free for five years. Well, what kind of an impact has this had on the housing market? Joining us to talk a bit more about this and take a look at the numbers is Tom Davidoff. He is a professor with the Souter School of Business. Tom, thank you so much for being with us. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Are we able to measure with about 1,400 households going ahead and taking advantage of this plan if it's had an impact or what impact it's had on housing? Well, it certainly has allowed 1,400 people to take on heavily subsidized loans uh, at the cost to uh, B.C. taxpayers. That's definitely true. Uh, We don't know how costly the loans will be to B.C. taxpayers yet uh, because we don't know how the loans will perform over time. And we really don't know how much these loans have impacted prices. Uh, Cam Yor in the B.C. Real Estate uh, Association uh, put forth, you know, one means of uh, ascertaining, which is to say, hey, we've thrown a bunch of buyers on the market, and typically more buyers are associated with higher prices. So they think 1.5% of the market means uh, a half percent in price increases. Other people might have uh, bigger or smaller numbers. And because when it when it was first announced, it was announced as this way for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get into the market to, because they weren't able to afford a down payment. So presumably they have the salaries, they have the income that allows them to. Uh, but then I suppose if you couple that with the new mortgage rules uh, and such, there are all of these different factors at play. It, it, it's threading a needle from what I've understood speaking with uh, mortgage brokers who, you know, originate lots of loans and, and know what kind of borrowers there are out there. Uh, you have to have a pretty good income because you've got to pass the usual uh, income to payment test under these new stress test rules. That's even harder uh, that came in in 2016 for this kind of mortgage. Uh, so you have to have a good income, but not too good, because if your income's too high, you don't qualify, and you have to want to buy a house that's worth less than $750,000. Right, so there are a lot, a lot of factors in play. You've you got to tick a lot of boxes <laughs> all at once. Now, you know, one other aspect to this is just in its conceptualization, it was a, it was a funny choice uh, when this policy came in, because, you know, first-time buyers tend to buy the less attractive products. I think Genworth estimated the median purchase price is 420 for first-time buyers in the region, which is very far below the average transaction price. So imagine you've got five first-time buyers in a room together. And before the program, they say, well, I'm going to max out. I'm going to take a 95% loan, and I'm going to pay as much as I can to get this property. I want to outbid everybody in the room. Okay, so they'll they'll take on ninety five percent loan to value and pay maybe two fifty. Well, then the province comes along and says, "Hey, everybody in the room, we'll all give you ninety seven and a half." You know what's the impact? They're all going to stretch themselves more, and a lot of the benefit is going to come to the seller in the form of a higher price. 
So it was a funny way to attack affordability, I think. And do you think the the real numbers are what we'll see? Because this was an interest-free loan, but it's only an interest-free loan for five years. So at five years, they either have you either have to have paid it back somehow, which you would think if you were able to do that, you might have been able to save the money on your own anyway. Or you're going to add it onto your mortgage. Your mortgage is going to go up, no, depending on what's happening with interest rates. That could be going up as well. Is are we are we kind of is it possible we're seeing this uh, perfect storm situation for five years down the road? It's certainly possible. And you know, if you look at the private market for lending, this kind of loan would have a very high interest rate. You know, maybe seven to ten percent a year. Uh, you just can't get go from 95, you know, 5% down, 95% loan, which is sort of the standard uh, limit for insured mortgages. Getting that next 2.5%, you know, that's very risky. It's not quite Tony Soprano territory, uh, but it is very expensive financing. And the reason is people worry the borrower is going to default. If there's even a 10% correction, it's possible you'll see default losses. So uh, the private market does not like originating this kind of loan without a lot of compensation. And you're right. If there's a downturn, people are going to have to refinance, possibly at higher interest rates, qualifying under the stress test. There's a real risk uh, of uh, losses to the taxpayer. And, of course, borrowers finding themselves in a position where they can't pay off their debt, which is very unpleasant for them. Uh, when when it first came out, and even now, the Real Estate Board, uh, Cameron Muir, the economist at the Real Estate Board, said that it has achieved its goal, which was to help first-time buyers get into the market. Uh, when we look at the market, though, it is townhouses and condos that are still really going up in value. Uh, we're seeing a decrease in single detached homes in Vancouver. Is 1,400 people taking part in this program? Is that enough to even have to, to be playing a part in that? Well, you know, I want to say yes, because when the program came out, all of us economists said the problem with our market is we don't have enough supply uh, and there's too much demand. So telling first-time buyers who tend to compete with each other for lower-end condos, hey, let's all help you stretch and pay more, was largely going to benefit sellers. Uh, the other side of it, as, as we discussed, is it's hard to make the program work. So I guess the good news is there ha- probably most of the increase in condo prices can't be attributable, attributable to this program just because there's been so few loans made. Had it been as much of a success as the province hoped, and I think they wanted it to be 10 times bigger, even by uh, BCREA's, uh, Cam, yours uh, methodology, you'd have seen something like a 5 to 10% increase in prices from this program. And, and I think the number would have been quite a bit bigger. But the good news is it's not a very big program. And we don't know what's going to happen to it. The NDP certainly wasn't a huge fan of it. Uh, who knows how long this program is even going to remain in place? Yeah, this one ought to go. I think, you know, hand money to people who are in need, uh, build, afford, uh, build housing units, encourage uh, the private market to build rental. Uh, but, but getting first-time buyers to stretch themselves further, especially in this environment where pricing is so frothy, I think is a big mistake. Looking at the market too, and and again, so so we can say with some confidence that it wasn't. It's not this program that that's really driving up the prices, especially in the condos and townhomes. Is it is it a question of people got greedy? Because looking at the single detached market right now, there are many properties, and I'm a bit of a geek in that I like watching them and I like seeing what's happening with them. And there are homes which just a few months ago were listed around two point three, and now they've come down to one point eight, and in one case it's come down to one point six. Is that is that the market correcting, or is that because people were too greedy in the first place? Well, 
it's very hard to know the right value of a home, particularly a single-family home around metropolitan Vancouver, because a lot of the value of single-family homes when you get close to the city is someday the government's going to let you redevelop this into townhomes or condos, uh, in which case the land can really explode in value. Uh, this is a great place where it's very hard to build. So in the long run, rents are going to grow, and eventually prices will catch up to some kind of valuation. But how much are rents going to grow? What's going to happen to interest rates? Uh, that's very hard to know. You know, How many condos are going to get built? What's going to happen to zoning? There's so many unknowns uh, in this market that it's very hard to say with any kind of certainty what a home is worth. Uh, if interest rates stay low, I think, you know, arguably the valuations we've been seeing make sense. If interest rates go up to 5 or 6%, uh, I think they've got it correct. So, uh, you know, these single-family home prices, I agree, they were very, very rich. I think if you squint, you can try to make sense of them. Uh, but we don't know what these homes are worth. And next year, if prices are 20% lower than they are today, I will not be at all surprised. And if they're 10% higher, I don't think I'd be very surprised either. <laughs> Do you think the change in zoning, will it eventually lead to, will there be so many townhouses when, when we see these single family lots subdivided and the zoning change and we see row housing or townhouses, lane houses, uh, more of this type of building, will that be enough? Do you think that those prices would come down? In the short and uh, intermediate run, yes. In the long run, if Vancouver's a great place to live uh, and affordable, people are going to flood in here because it's a great place to live and uh, people who can afford it are going to want to come here. So over 30 years, I think it's very challenging to make this place truly affordable. Uh, but over a 10, you know, five to 10 year period, uh, as you get built out, people don't, people don't, you know, pick up and move from somewhere else uh, on a dime. Uh, and I think we absolutely can improve affordability. And, and then there's just the question of who we want living here. Uh, do we want to allow middle-class people to live here, or do we want to preserve single-family zoning and make sure it's only the very rich who can move in? Uh, what, what do would you define right now as middle-class? <sighs> well, you know, to buy a single-family home on the west side of Vancouver, I've looked at this, uh, you would have to have uh, in about, you know, maybe like the top 5% of household income can afford the worst single-family home in the west side of Vancouver if you try to pass the stress test and put 20% down. So we're talking a couple that's a, a lawyer and a doctor when I say middle class. Which I think a lot of people would, would, would have put that above. The, it absolutely right. is. You know, <laughs> that's the point. Single-family zoning in the city of Vancouver says you're not allowed to move in uh, unless you've got a couple mil uh, or you're making 500 ish a year. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what kind of policy that is. So, of course, you know, you can both contribute to affordability by building more and contribute to affordability by putting in the kinds of homes that at least – kind of ordinary people have a shot at affording. All right. We'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. But Professor, thank you so much. Always good to talk to you. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.